Go with me, if you would, please, if you have your Bibles today, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Going to read through a, a bit of a lengthy passage and then zero in on one verse and kind of develop some thoughts from there. But Luke chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. Luke 12, 13. All right, I hear lots of pages rattling. That's a fun sound in a church building. It means people have their, their Bibles out. And uh, it's nice to have a, a, a Bible. You know, some will want to pull out their, their, their phone and uh, look up the scripture on their phone. And, uh, and that can get distracting possibly as, as uh, texts come in or, or whatever. Certainly not an impossibility. I know some will, will grab a tablet and it's bigger, and they, they can make the text plenty big and, and look up other things. But, uh, boy, sometimes it's, it's a beautiful thing to actually have pages rattling in the church building. Uh, pages out of the hymn book during the song service. Pages out of our Bibles during church. So, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. I'm sorry, 13 through 34. So we'll read through this. Here we go. One of the company. So there was Jesus teaching, and then somebody in the crowd nearby said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. You know, <laughs> so somebody's like, Lord, yell at him. You know, that's, that's a fun reason to come to church, huh? I'm here to give God people to yell at. Um, anyway, so he says, would you talk to my brother? And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto him, take heed and beware covetousness. And by the way, uh, uh, covetousness, it, it sneaks up on all of us. Oh, if I just had a little more money in my pocket, I could. Oh, if I just, oh, if I just, oh, it sneaks up on every one of us. Covetousness. Oh, if I just had a bit more. Uh, beware covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So he, he begins to tell a story. There's this rich guy, and his ground brought forth plentifully. By the way, the ground brought forth plentifully, the ground that God made. And he thought within himself, so this rich man did a lot of talking to himself. <laughs> he said, I, I, I can't think of anyone better to talk to than me. So uh, he thought within himself, uh, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul... There he goes again, talking to himself. Soul, uh, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. That's what he thought anyway. Little did he know he wasn't going to make it through the night. But we have big plans, don't we, down here? Uh, he said, thou hast many goods laid up for, uh, much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, be merry, but God. We make plans down here, but God. And the sooner we realize that as, as wonderful as, as our plans are, our plans are not binding. 
It's good for us to look to the one whose plans are binding. This guy thought for years and years, but he, he couldn't speak for years and years. He wasn't going to make it through the night. Oh, God, deliver us from our plans. And help us to do like we read in that scripture at the beginning. Oh, Lord, teach me thy way. Your plans are lasting. Your plans are binding. God said unto him, verse 20, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's no, it's, not a, it's not a problem to be rich. But to remember, when that ground brings forth plentifully, who made that that ground? Who allowed that ground to bring forth plentifully? And then live a life that is rich toward the one who is rich toward us in the first place. And then Jesus turns to his disciples. So we have this man that comes and says, yell at my brother. And he says, let me tell you a story. Then Jesus turns to the disciples. Verse 22. Therefore, because of all of this, I say to you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or for your body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat. Life isn't about the next meal to put in my mouth or the next set of clothes to cover my body with. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, but God feedeth them. Don't look to your pocketbook, look to the Lord. And he says, how much more are you better than the fowls? You say, well, better to whom? To God. That's faith, by the way. Living according to God's value system. What does he value? He values souls. There was a bunch of people that jumped on a Sunday school bus this morning to go pick up folks. You know why? Because they're, they've laid hold, laid hold on God's value system a while ago. Down here, the, the human beings naturally want to go after wealth or, or power or fame. But when you get a hold of God and God gets a hold of you, your value system begins to change. And then you think souls matter to God and so souls will matter to me. Why did Sunday school teachers prepare this week for their lessons so they could pour out their hearts this morning? Because of sharing God's value system. Why are junior church leaders and teachers and helpers in the other building right now? Because of God's value system. Why did some go out to make visits yesterday and, and, and go uh, into the nursing home and, and, and hit the truck stop ministry? Those, those guys that get kind of lonely on the road and wonder, boy, I'm out here. I wonder if anyone cares about me. Well, God does. And when God gets a hold of you, you start to share his value system. And Lord's souls matter to you. I, I don't want to ask myself, oh boy, I got some money in my wallet. What will I do? I'll pull down my barns and, and build greater. And I'll, and I'll take my ease and be merry. And I'll be comfortable. And I'll, and I'll pour my wealth into myself. Oh, thou fool. God is so rich toward all of us. And the sooner we realize how the meaning of life is to be rich back to the one who was rich to us all life only then takes on purpose and meaning. Tomorrow night, some of our guys will go to the prison and uh, they'll, have a, they'll have a service there for, the, for some men there. 
Why? Is it because Christians aren't very creative? We can't come up with other things we could be doing? Is that what it is? Christians are like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll go have a service. At, no, there's plenty of things we, we could be doing. But there's plenty of things we should be doing. And it's God's value system that should motivate the believer. Verse 25, Luke 12, 25. Which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? So does it help to worry about being a little taller? My son, <laughs> he watches other boys pass up their dads in height. And he's like, oh, I can't wait for my chance. And it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and it will, but, but it is kind of fun. I'll laugh with him about that. And, and, uh, and I'll say, well, but don't worry too much about it. You know, by worrying about things you can't change, that, that doesn't do very much good. Uh, worry about the things you can affect. If ye, uh, if ye then not able to do the, that, that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? So why worry about what you can't change? There is a big God who loves you right now. Live for him. Throw your energies into those things that matter to him. There are 10,000 things you could worry about that you can't do anything about. Right? Sometimes we, we turn on the radio. And uh, by the way, fear sells. Fear is what sells. And so the, the news stations, they want, they, want you, they want your attention. They want to sell news. And fear is what sells. And so that's what they're going to give you. So they can sell. Uh, so sometimes turn that off. And, and, and open your Bible and be motivated instead of fear about the things you can't do anything about. Be motivated by hope and the things you can do something about. God, everyone's going to stand before him one day. Everyone. And I can tell someone how they can be ready. Then he says in verse 27, consider the lilies. How they grow. They, they toil not and and spin not, yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So then God, if God then so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For of all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Most people out there are pursuing the wrong thing. And your father knoweth that ye have need of these things, verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't live life pursuing things. Seek God, and things will find you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's way better when things find you. But you seek after God and things find you. You seek after things and they seem to elude you. And then this is our text. Remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples right now. And in verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide for yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So there's our text for today. Fear not. So verse 32, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a powerful little verse. Let's explore that today. Why did Jesus tell them to fear not? Well, in the context of all of this, uh, down here on earth, it, it seems like the successful people are those that live like God doesn't matter. This particular rich man had much goods in verse 19 and, and thought he had many years, but his life was going to be over before the next sunrise. And then what good would his, his monies do him then? His bursting barns and rosy prospects were but fatal delusions that his life was successful and safe and secure. And Jesus says to the disciples, look at the birds and look at the flowers and learn from them. They don't live fearfully in this life. Uh, oh, what, what if God doesn't care for me? They just live life singing a song. I, I mentioned this a while ago that, that last summer I was just walking through the park back there and my mind was on 10,000 things. I got to do this. 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 And I heard some birds singing back there. And that little song arrested my attention. And I started thinking about the creator of that little bird and the creator of that song. That little bird sang a song and said, I'm not worried. I have a creator who made me and cares for me and, and feeds me. My mind went from the 10,000 things on my mind to the creator of that little bird and I remember that that creator is also my creator and he loves me more than that little bird. Learn from the lilies, Jesus said. They just bloom where they're planted, right? You, you don't see a lily that's griping that it wasn't planted in that field over there. This is where I'm planted and I'm gonna bloom where I'm planted. Learn from them. They don't worry that there may not be enough rain tomorrow. They just go on blooming. Can you learn that lesson? Just to bloom where God has planted you. So we contrast maybe this rich man with the, the disciples and then there wasn't a lot of money between them all. It's not very fun to, to maybe be poor in, com, com, in comparison to some people down here and weak in a world that's hostile toward you. And so Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So just those three ideas I want to go through. We see the little flock. Let's look at that for a little bit. And then we see a loving father. It is your father's good pleasure. And then we see a lofty future. What does the father, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a lofty future for that little flock. So our title for today, Fear Not, Little Flock. Let's pray. 
Lord, we pray that you'd be with this time. We thank you for it. We thank you for your goodness to us. Help us, Lord. Uh, down here, we start, our, our value system begins to change and we start to pursue the things that don't really matter that much. I pray, Lord, that today we would listen to those words, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I pray, Lord, that if somebody is not saved, they can't say, he is my Father, that they can get that taken care of today. And for those of us who are saved, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't live in fear. We would remember that we have a loving Father. And it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And for right now, I'm in that little flock. And I have a wonderful shepherd, a wonderful Father. Help us to find our safety and security in that truth. And help us, Lord, not to be following after the wrong things. If we're in a little flock, that means we have a, a shepherd and sometimes we're not following him like we should. Help us today to fix that. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we'll look at that first thing. We see a little flock. A little flock. Not a herd, but a flock. Not a swarm, but a flock. Not even a pack like of wolves. Not a gaggle like a group of geese. Not a colony like a, a group of ants or a clutch of chicks. Not a brood of cicadas. I guess it's a special year for cicadas uh, in, in April. So make sure you worry from now until then. Not a pod of dolphins or a skulk of foxes. Not a bloat of hippopotami or an aggregation of manatees, not a pandemonium of parrots or a crash of rhinoceroses, but a flock, and a little flock at that. When you think of Jesus looking at his disciples and he says, fear not, little flock. We get scared down here, don't we, sometimes? We worry. Little flock, can you see the Lord turn and look at you today and say, fear not, little flock. We think of closeness. We think of affection. Herds are driven. Boy, you get behind a herd and you drive it. But not so with flocks. You lead flocks. Psalm 23, 1 through 2, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me. Beside the still waters. Little flock. God's people will never be a majority down here in this world. Uh, this side of, of uh, the, um, the millennium. Boy, down here, Matthew 7 says that there's the broad way. And most, pe most people trudge, what matters to me? What matters to me? Uh, what, what about what matters to God? I don't care. He's welcome to care about what matters to me too, I guess, if he wants to. I'm going to focus on what matters to me, and he can focus on, well, don't you think you should think about what matters to him? I'm not super interested. Most people are on that broad way to destruction. The Bible says that there's a narrow way. And he says, few there be that find it. Fear not, little flock. Sometimes our children will say, Mom, Dad, Especially my son. He's my thinker in my family. He's, he's like, Dad, there's a whole lot of people that aren't living like us. Who's to say we're right and they're wrong? 
Well, I think here God says, fear not little flock. We don't do what the majority of people are doing down here, do we? We don't go the, the same direction that the masses go. There's a little flock. And Jesus says, are you in my little flock? Fear not, little flock. David showed up on, on the battlefield and his, and his brother said to him, uh, kind of despising, in, in, in 1 Samuel 17, 28, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Uh, uh, so who's tending your little flock? despising them as being unimportant. And a lot of people look at God's little flock down here on the earth and the world despises them too. Go on, cruel world. Despise that little flock. But it's not us that makes the difference. We don't ask for your pity. Take your eyes off of the insignificance of the little flock and instead rather affix those eyes on the significance of the shepherd of that little flock. He's the one. It's not us that makes the difference. It's the one we follow. He's the one that makes all the difference. Boy, who is in this flock? Uh, boy, you have that, that rich fellow that lived like what, what this world had to offer was what, oh, there are, there are some, there's not a lot of people, but there are some that live like what God wants. That's what matters. I don't want to, to lay up my treasures for the here and now. I want to lay up my treasures in eternity. Those that are saved and following him. If, it, if there's a little flock, there's a shepherd. Do you belong to that shepherd? Are you following that shepherd? Are you in one of his local churches? Are you a part of what he's doing in his churches? Not just an observer, not just showing up, but following. Where the shepherd leads, you follow. And you're busy for him. You're a part. You've joined that, that little flock. Boy, that rich man from earlier in the chapter looking foolishly to his wealth and not to his creator. He thought to himself, I don't need God. But then he stepped into eternity and instantly found out otherwise. There have been great men of the past that didn't think God mattered that much. Uh, Napoleon. Napoleon with his gigantic armies. He once said, God is on the side of the big battalions. No, Napoleon, God's on the side of his little flock. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. These verses aren't going to matter much to people out there. But to those that are part of his little flock, these are precious words. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Pastor Olson read these verses Thursday night as he talked about, uh, Lord, help us to have a pure, clean church. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. In 1812, Napoleon invaded Russia and he found out that God wasn't with him just because he had a massive army. God used tiny snowflakes to grind his conquering armies to a halt. Is God in the massive armies? Well, 
By the time Napoleon's armies withdrew, his ranks had lost over 300,000 men. The Russians had lost over 200,000, well over half a million. The horrors are described in 1812, and they're just awful. Rain had come, and, and, and the rain had turned the ground to mud as he was withdrawing. And then on November 6th, snow fell and soldiers froze to death overnight when their campfires burned out. Once the snow compacted, it became rock hard and slippery, causing men and horses to fall. Carriages and guns had to be controlled on slopes using ropes uh, held by dozens of soldiers. When they slipped, the guns crashed into vehicles ahead of them, creating chaos. Horses would fall and legs would be broken. In the space of a few days, the army lost tens of thousands of horses to cold and accident. Most of the army slept out in the open, but a few huts still standing often became death traps. So many men would crowd inside to shelter that some suffocated in the crush and huts often caught fire either from their wooden stove overheating or campfires set too close outside the building by soldiers ripping timber off the hut walls. On the night of November 12th, the temperature dropped to minus 11 Fahrenheit and frostbite became widespread among the, the troops. Not recognizing the symptoms of the frostbite, uh, not knowing the treatment, men lost many noses, fingers, and toes. With such hard frost, there was no liquid water available. Men were suffering badly from dehydration. They began eating horse meat flavored with gunpowder for a bit of saltiness. There were awful river crossings. As the traffic, the traffic bottlenecked, people were knocked down in the crush, trampled under, underfoot and killed. Russian artillery drawn on sleds would catch up and, and shell them. The bridge over the Berezina had been burnt. Uh, so 400 men were chosen to build new uh, bridges, working up to their necks in the frozen water for 15 minutes at a time as the ice flows would wash past. Of the 400 men, eight survived the retreat. A two-day blizzard started in November of, of 29, and it was remembered by the survivors as the worst time. Some shot themselves. Those whose shoes had disintegrated got such bad frostbite that, well, awful things happened to skin and muscle. Men were murdered for their fur coats. If a man collapsed, often his boots would be ripped off his feet while he was still alive. When the blizzard finally uh, passed, the, the skies cleared and temperature plunged even more down to 30 degrees, negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit on December 6th. At this temperature, liquid water uh, doesn't exist in the air and, and water molecules in the air combine to form ice crystals that sparkle in the clear sky. A phenomenon meteorologists call diamond dust. Men's breath was as thick as smoke and condensation formed icicles in hair, eyelashes and beards which grew thick enough to obstruct vision and breathing. Eyelashes froze together and had to be pressed between fingers so eyes could be opened. Many got snow blindness, causing tears which froze. It was so cold that men died walking. Some becoming so disoriented they would walk into fires in bare feet and just lie down. 
Psalm 147, 16 through 18. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? No, Napoleon, God doesn't seem to favor the battalions. Just because you get a whole bunch of humans together doesn't mean that much. God seems to favor his little flock, his church. I don't know, you might look at the church sometimes and say, but boy, those underdogs, but are they really? It's one thing to be a little flock, but it's entirely different to be his little flock. Proverbs 30, verse 26, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. Uh, conies, cute little bundles of fur. Helpless? No, they have a rock that they can run to and hide in when danger comes. We do too. But while their rock is cold and lifeless, we have a rock that we can run to that is warm and loving. Fear not, little flock. His churches here on this earth, they might not seem like very much, but there's no better place to be than in his little flock. So first of all, we saw a little flock. Next, we see a loving father. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your father. Boy, that word your your father. I care about every child on the earth. I know that sounds like, oh, okay. <laughs> but really, God cares about every child on the earth. And when you get to know God, you, you, you care, you learn to care more about what matters to him, and he cares about every child on, on the earth. We, we have a group of, of, of Koreans that are here. And we've enjoyed having them for, they were going to be here for about eight weeks, and they're here with us. And, and, and uh, the chaperone, he, he did an interview with me uh, just, uh, just Friday. He said, can I, can I do an interview and ask you a question? He says, tell me about Christian education. Why does Christian education matter? And I, and I kind of, I, I, I mentioned three things. I said, well, first of all, I believe every child um, is, was made by God. Every child was made by God and that they are all dear to him the world over. Secondly, because I believe that every child was made by God, God has a purpose and a plan for every little child. And Christian education, the goal would be to awaken every little person to the fact that they have a creator who loves them and has a purpose and a plan for them. And then third, as far as what we teach them, the Bible is very clear in John 14 that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. There's no subject that you can teach where truth doesn't matter. Truth needs to be a part of every subject you can possibly teach. And Jesus is truth. When it comes to science, he's the one that wrote the laws that the scientists study. When it comes to history, it's all his story. God is working out his plan and everyone will stand before him. History? Oh, you can't teach history and pretend like God isn't a part of that. Math. 
the concept of quantity. That, that comes from him. The orderliness and beauty of math flows from the great mathematician who is far above any person who ever fancied himself or herself a master of the subject. What about humanity itself? Well, we have our psychologists, and they just keep getting more and more confused. They come up with these theories and experiment on people, and it seems like more and more chaos erupts from the psychology of our human experts down here that set aside the Bible and pretend they know something. If they say something worth hearing, is because they got it from here. I care about all young people because God cares about all young people. But let me tell you this. I care most about my kids. Mine. Because they're my kids. And I think everyone gets that. But I think it's so beautiful. God just isn't a father. What did the word, what did the word say? Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure. I am one of his kids. And you might say, well, every human being, no, he created everybody, but you don't become one of his kids until you receive him. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He's not just a father, but he's my father. And that's huge. Father. This special name for God only used four or five times in the Old Testament. But how wonderful. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus says that, and here's how you should pray. There in Matthew 6, 9, he says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. Aren't you glad? that you can say, our Father, my Father. In one of the greatest parables in the New Testament, Jesus tells of the prodigal son and his older brother in Luke 15. And uh, the obvious picture of the Father in this story is, is of God, the Father. In Luke 15, from verses 11 through 32, the word Father is found 12 times. Here in this passage, we see God as a shepherd caring for his flock. Little flock, we have a shepherd. And then he says, your father. We have a picture of a flock. And then when he says, your father, we have a picture of a family, don't we? The God and father of our Lord Jesus is now our God and father through salvation. It is his good pleasure to protect and plan and provide for all that is needed for us to enjoy bliss in eternity and blessings even now. So, we saw a little flock. We saw a loving father. And then, oh boy, we see a lofty future. I think about the future of my kids more than other people's kids. I think about the future of Brother Ryan's kids and the, the kids in this church, but I think most about the future of my kids because they're my kids. I, I'm their father. And guess who's very concerned about the future of his little flock? The head of that little flock. 
Oh, a, a lofty future that he has for them. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow! To give you the kingdom to start out as a little flock and then end up as recipients of the kingdom from the pasture to the palace. Wow. What a thought. How can that be possible? Well, uh, we saw David go from the pasture to the palace, didn't we? As a shepherd and, and then finally being the king. And, and in a similar way, in a spiritual way, we get to enjoy from going from the pasture to the palace. Why? Oh, just because we have a great shepherd. We have a great father, and that makes all the difference. God wants wonderful things for the members of his little flock. It's his good pleasure to give his little flock the kingdom. What a father! He is such a giver. 2 Peter 1, 3, the first part there says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Boy, the little flock of God has an amazing future to look forward to. Consider this passage from the last book of the Bible. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation in chapter 5, listen to these verses, starting in verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. This is Jesus depicted here as a lamb slain for the sins of the world. My sins. Your sins. Oh, right now, I'm going to heaven. I, I trusted many years ago in the provision that Jesus gave in dying for me. And I'm trusting still today. He is my all in all. And, and I'm a part of his little flock. It goes on about this lamb having seven horns. This is a picture of omnipotence. Having all power. And seven eyes. This is a picture of omniscience. Having all knowledge. Knowing everything. Which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take... Don't look at the insignificance of the little flock. Instead, look at the significance of the one who leads it. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation 
and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, the little flock. It doesn't sound like an underdog to me, does it to you? Because at the head of that little flock, that shepherd is the king of kings and lord of lords. Are you a part of that little flock? Today, do you belong to him in salvation? Is Jesus your shepherd? And are you following your shepherd? Which one do you resemble most? That rich man living for the here and now. Well, I, the things that I make, I lavish upon myself. I live for the comfort and ease that I can enjoy. Oh, no. That God who has been so rich to every human being. Oh, be rich toward him. Today we saw that little flock. Fear not, little flock. Oh, what a loving father that little flock enjoys. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, what a lofty future. How are you doing? Are you a part of that flock? And if you are, how are you doing? Following that shepherd. Oh, is there a song that you sing? Just like that little bird out there reminding me that he has a creator that loves him. Why would he worry? He's got a song. Oh, can you? Can you learn from the lily and just bloom where you're planted? There's a lot of Christians that gripe. My life is awful. No, it isn't. And if there's awfulness there, it's because you've turned your back on your creator. Away with the awfulness. Live your life like you have a wonderful creator. Give your life to him and do the things that he wants you to do. And learn to bloom where you're planted. Let's pray.